Hello and welcome to another episode of Tax Updates with Ron Cohen. I'm a partner here at the CPA firm of Greenstein, Rogoff, Olson and Company, LLP in beautiful downtown Fremont, California. Well, today is May 16th. It's about noon California time. Again, I continue to date and timestamp these because things change after I do the uh, podcast here. Later in the afternoon, another another bill passes. So uh, uh, this just keeps continuing on. And we're going to cover today bits about uh, stimulus checks, uh, bits about the House of Representatives passed by, I believe, seven votes, a $3 trillion uh, aid and stimulus package. Uh, we'll get into more about these paycheck protection loans and the 18-week problem and the certification problem. But let's go through our caveats. First of all, take no reliance on anything you hear in this podcast. Make sure before you use any information on a transaction or put a number on a tax return and file it that you've consulted with a qualified tax professional, you can call us. Our phone number is 510-797-8661. I'm always happy to talk. Uh, But before you use any tax advice, make sure you've provided all the facts and information to the advisor, had them do their research, that you're comfortable with it, it makes sense, before you uh, file those returns. Okay, uh, plagiarism's okay on this podcast because we are not doing any works of art or novels, and uh, we get most of our information from the federal government, uh, who puts out information for us to use. There's uh, unlimited amounts of data from lawyers and CPAs on the internet who are uh, telling us how to interpret certain laws, uh, and we use that all the time. Uh, The whole goal is to get to the best answer. And I do try to give credit where I can, although uh, uh, moving on here, we don't talk about politics in this podcast. I can and do listen to politics all day and night because I'm interested in it. But uh, we try to avoid that in this tax podcast, although at times, as you may have heard, political policies drive tax policy. And then it's fair to, to get into a little bit of politics as to why the rules ended up being the way they are. Okay, we do a lot of tax returns, uh, thousands of them here at the firm, and a lot of planning for all kinds of people. Also, I am no cheerleader for the tax law, no cheerleader at all. It's, it's tedious, it's intrusive, it's boring. Even the simplest issue as a 15-box flowchart you have to go through. It uh, costs the country uh, over $600 billion a year to file and uh, their taxes, defend tax audits, get representation, way too much, way too much. And uh, the problem is as tax preparers, we always have to try to get an A plus on tax returns. Can't get an A minus, can't get a B or C. You have to do it perfect, even though if the return's ever audited, the IRS doesn't even know what the law is half the time. But that's nevertheless, as a qualified tax professional, uh, even in gray areas, you have to pick the best choice amongst the gray area choices and get an A plus on that tax return. And that's what we do. Our website is www.groco.com. That's www.groco.com. There's a ton of information 
about uh, me and, and the firm here in Fremont, California. Always happy to help. Okay, so uh, I just wanted to note my son, my 28-year-old son got his $1,200 stimulus check. And a few episodes back, we mentioned about how there were complaints that there was a letter coming with those checks, which was a little, um, little, little discussion from President Donald Trump about the COVID crisis and how they're trying to help and so forth. And Forbes and some other commentators came out, rightly so, saying you cannot mix politics with taxes, right? Uh, your taxes and dealing with the IRS, and for most people it is, it's just like dealing with the bank. You go in, you do what you do, you get out, right? That's the service they provide. Uh, the bank charges you some interest, but uh, you should not be getting into any political discussions. The IRS should not be driven by political uh, issues. And so putting a little letter, no matter how innocu innocuous or uh, just well-wishing it is, does not belong in the envelope with those checks. And lo and behold, my son got his check last week. There was no letter. So it appears that um, uh, the administration and the IRS uh, stopped doing what they had been doing. So I just wanted to note, we mentioned it when it was occurring, oh, three, four weeks ago, and and now it seems to have stopped. It's still on the check. It did say uh, economic impact payment, President Donald J. Trump. Okay. And I was thinking I would have been a little hypocritical because a few weeks ago I said, well, what's the big deal if he, if he signs the check or his name's on the check? Actually, he didn't sign the check. It said Donald J. Trump to the left and over to the right was the official Treasury Department signature of, on the signature line. But, um, you know, not trying to be a hypocrite in these things. You know, I think the president's name should not be on that check for exactly the same reason. The tax administration authority of the U.S. government should just be completely unpolitical in any way, including the check they send out to people. But I'm sure glad my son got his $1,200. Okay, moving on. Um, last week, Friday morning, the House of Representatives moved through a three-trillion dollar spending bill, an aid bill. And I'm trying to stay out of politics here. But um, you can read it yourself. We'll put some uh, links in the show notes where you can go all through it. And uh, whether or not uh, you agree or disagree with some of the policy issues and the types of uh, money that's being uh, provided, one can sit back and ponder for a moment that that's $3 trillion. It was more than the first two bills, the Families First Act and then the CARES Act came after that. Um, and those were uh, two or $3 trillion. Uh, not quite $3 trillion. This bill itself was $3 trillion. Now, the first two bills passed almost unanimously. Uh, they only had vo voice votes. That is, in the House of Representatives and the Senate, they didn't even take the time to go vote by vote, call them out like they usually do, um, especially because people were staying away from the House and the Senate. They just had vo voice votes. So with some of the biggest bills passed in the history of the United States Congress were passed by, okay, how many say A, A, how many say nay, nay, and these, no nays, no nays except for one. Uh, representative of Ma Massey of Tennessee got up and, and objected to say, you know, I really don't think we should have a voice voice vote on a bill that's over a trillion dollars. And the uh, chairman, uh, speaker at the time, it uh, wasn't Ashley Pelosi was running it. They always assign 
Uh, the speaker's very rarely sitting there with the gavel. They usually assign it to somebody else. But the uh, a stand-in speaker said, well, uh, you've made your objection. I look around. Uh, does anybody else want to vo vo voice vote? And then he said, in the uh, opinion of the chair, uh, the the motion to have a vote, uh, uh, an actual vote, excuse me, an actual vote has been overruled. Boom. Bang the gavel. Trillion dollar bill is passed. And uh, Senator Massey had said in his plea, you know, something to the effect of we just don't want to see democracy die in silence without an actual vote. Uh, that's a little extreme, but uh, he certainly made his point. But my point here is those first two bills, with the exception of Congressman Massey, if I said it wrong, uh, was the only no vote. Both of the, uh, the both two bills, other than him, were completely unanimous, and that was intentional because politically, uh, we're all in this together, right? We're trying to solve a this catastrophic problem with the virus, and uh, people shouldn't be taking sides. Let's do the right thing. Let's try to help people. This vote on Friday for the three trillion dollar bill was um, only passed by seven votes in the Congress, in the House, House of Representatives. So that brings on a number of issues. First of all, the Republicans didn't even get to see it until 72 hours before the bill was going to be voted on. It was completely written by the Democrat caucus, which is fine. That's their, their right. But uh, when, when a bill is thrown in, and it's 1,800 pages, so you can barely read it in 72 hours, plus... You have other things going on. Uh, the Republicans, to a man and woman, voted against it because, one, they didn't, don't think that's fair. There should be committee hearings. There should be negotiations back and forth, discussions with the White House. None of that happened. So it was just thrown at them, and the, the, the Democrats had the majority in the, um, in the House, and so they passed it. Secondly, though, that was interesting, was a number of Democrats voted. 14 Democrats voted against this bill. Now, I don't have these numbers right, but four or five of them took the view, you know, we want this bill to be like the other bills. We want it to be bipartisan. So when we were explaining it to our constituents back home, you know, what happened? Well, it wasn't Democrat versus Republican. It was, we're all in this together. Let's do the right thing. Let's help people. They wanted, the Democrats wanted this to be a bipartisan bill and objected to the fact that the uh, uh, Speaker Pelosi and her group there wrote it. Uh, without uh, discussion. So it couldn't have been bipartisan because Republicans literally didn't know what was going on until they saw the bill on the House of Representatives computer uh, placed there exactly 72 hours before the, the planned vote on Friday. The other Democrats are even more interesting. A number of them who are joining with the um, uh, very progressive, and again, I'm not judging, I'm just saying very progressive uh, part of the House said the bill did not go far enough. One of the congressmen wanted in the bill a requirement that no business, no business can open up in violation of the CDC timeline. So this congressman from New England saying, I am going to dictate, okay, can't say that. I'm not going to do that. Okay. <laughs> And uh, other congressmen, including our congressman here in the 17th District of California, which is, goes from Cupertino around North San Jose and up here through Fremont, uh, uh, voted no and specifically came out in public saying, well, I'm voting, voting no because we're not changing Medicare. Uh, we're not, we're not giving, uh, 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 we're giving exempt, uh, uh, more money in some areas, but not nationwide. 
uh, more, more, without getting into all the details of his explanation. He voted no, saying that Speaker Pelosi's bill was not giving enough. So, okay, all right, that's up to him. And uh, so the bill just barely passed. So when the bill barely passes, of course, the people in the Senate and the White House can say, well, the bill barely passed. Uh, You folks in the House barely believe in it. You know, so there's 435 members of the House. The bill passed by seven votes. That's that's like barely. Uh, And it wasn't bipartisan either. Right. I mean, it, it, it clearly wasn't bipartisan. Every Republican voted against it. So um I could spend three hours going through everything that's in that three billion trillion trillion dollar bill, but I won't do it. Uh, no reason to. There will be weeks, if not months, of negotiation between the Senate and the House uh, and and with the the White House about. I, I will say the shame of it is the shame of it is there were parts of there that should be passed that all parties agreed on. There there was provision that the PPP loan expenses should be deductible. Where the IRS put out a ruling last week, if you heard our episode, saying that uh, since the money you're getting is tax-free to pay the expense, you shouldn't get a deduction for the expense. Otherwise, you're you're double-dipping. And this, and I, I had called that out weeks before, and the Secretary of Treasury agreed with me. And then a bunch of senators, they don't know me, but they, <laughs> but uh, the bunch of senators uh, uh, wrote to the IRS and the treasury saying, no, that's exactly what we meant. We meant them to get the money free to pay the expense and a deduction for the expense. So there was a miscommunication. And by my math, that's a mistake of about $150 billion more that this bill will cost, uh, the CARES Act will cost than they intended. So they had a provision in there just to clarify house and Senate, everybody intended those expenses to be deductible. Well, that and and largely the, the Republicans agreed, so that didn't get passed because it's in this three trillion dollar bill. They'll negotiate it. Maybe they'll they'll get back to it later. There's some other things about the uh, PPP loans and so forth, and and you know we can argue about whether certain groups of people or certain types of activities should get some aid. Uh, those are those are honest disagreements. Uh, maybe they will come back and deal with it. But again. As somewhat, a, I call myself a student of tax law, clearly, and of monetary policy, um, $3 trillion is a slap by God amount of money. <laughs> uh, and if it doesn't make you pause for a moment, uh, at least uh, even if it's for a good cause, if you believe that, uh, uh, in all the components, right, there's so many pieces of it. Some one could argue is good, some one could argue is bad. Um, the money doesn't exist. It all has to be borrowed. Uh, what does that mean? That's interest for another thousand years because federal debt is never repaid. It's only refinanced. So that's $3 trillion interest charges, the weight that has on our children and grandchildren. Um, okay, but all right, that's, I don't want to bend too much into politics and, um, the bill, the, the news I should report here is that uh, uh, Mitch McConnell has said this bill is dead on arrival in the Senate. They're not even going to look at it. They're going to look at it. And, you know, their political argument is, look, you didn't negotiate with us, so why, why should we even look at it? You, and you barely passed it in your own house. Uh, Democrats, you control the House, uh, not by a lot, but by a little bit. Even members of your own party voted uh, in significant numbers against the bill, so Mitch McConnell has plenty of political coverage uh, again, I, I'll stop, but to say dead on arrival. And the president has said, 
also um, the bill's not consideration. Although the president has said one of the provisions in the $3 trillion bill was to do another round of $1,200 per person and more if you have kids and so forth and family members. And President Trump has come out and said, I like that. I might want to do that. All right, so how do you carve it out of a $3 trillion bill? I think that's three or $400 billion. Okay, do you pass a standalone bill? Anyway, there are people who do that all day long and figure those things out in, in, con- in Congress, and that's not for me. But that's what happened with the $3 trillion bill. We'll, uh, uh, it's not going anywhere fast. That, I think, is a fact. And we'll see in the coming weeks um, what happens. All right, with these payroll protection loans, PPP loans, remember, uh, there's an eight-week problem and there's a certification problem. The eight-week problem is that uh, if you borrow a loan, you have eight weeks to spend the money on qualifying expenses or the loan will not be allowed to be forgiven. Really, really, really important, right? You got to have good bookkeeping. Some advisors are saying, put the money in a separate checking account. Uh, keep all your payroll records. And now if you have decent accounting, you already do all these things. You have records of all your payroll registers and your and every check written and all your invoices filed away. I could speak another hour about substantiation rules for tax purposes and for gap purposes on the records you should be keeping regardless of any of these bills. And if you do all a good job on that, you will, uh, you'll have that information. Um, but um, uh, you have to spend the money within eight weeks. So for, for the, 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 the dilemmas coming up, well, uh, I borrowed money based on payroll, but I can't hire my, my people back because the health commissioner won't let me open my door. So I can't hire them back. And by the way, they're better off on unemployment insurance right now. So even if I hire them, this is a big problem going around where people are being hired back and saying, no, thanks. I get 34 weeks. And what I'm getting by unemployment insurance is the same and in some cases better, better, better than what they were being paid. So employers in some of the states, Texas and North, uh, what is it, Georgia, that have opened up. Uh, California very slowly is opening up. I saw today uh, that New Jersey uh, allowed a, a gym to open up. The police showed up. And uh, I, I digress, maybe too much in politics, but the police showed up. And, uh, they, and there was a crowd there and they said, hey, we're only here to say that you're all here illegally and we hope you have a very nice day. And they turned around and left. So in a lot of these jurisdictions, the police are giving up. They're giving up. And uh, so people go back to work. Um, but then again, you, if you're on unemployment, maybe you say, no, I'm better off not now. You know, this whole lot of things of loyalty to your job and yeah, and gee, you know, uh, uh, you know, the poor employer is trying to do the best they can. The Republicans are saying, you know, and that there's liability issues. Uh, here in the great state of California, the, the uh, governor proclaimed that if you're an employee, so, so you were let go, you're on unemployment, you're not an employee. But now he, he bravely, rightly, wrongly, with the law, without the law, opens his doors, hires you back. The governor has proclaimed that um, if you get COVID-19, for any reason, from anywhere, the uh, governor's order says it is presumed that you got it at work and you can make a worker's compensation claim. And that affects your employer's rating. And the more people who make a claim on the worker's compensation fund, the more his worker's compensation insurance goes up and gets more expenses. So you got COVID-19 on the softball field, uh, you know, or whoever knows what, 
and it's presumed since you are an employee that it's um, that it's the employer, you know, the employee's uh, situation, the area, uh, um, uh, a problem with with the uh, place of employment. Uh, so the Republicans are strongly insisting that any new legislation c- include a relief from liability. You know, viruses happen, act of God, force majeure is the lawyers like to use that Latin, meaning it just happens. It's not my fault, right? You can't go and get a uh, lawyer and sue me just because you got COVID-19 and that was the day after I hired you to come back to work. Uh, so there's lots of dilemmas because here in California, if I can be blamed uh, for your COVID-19 the day after you come back to work, maybe I just got to wait this out, right? And I don't ask you to come back, right? So all these things are percolating around and around, and I hope it just all gets better uh, much sooner. The other problem with um, uh, PPP loans, besides the eight-week problem, is uh, the certification problem, which I wrote about to our clients, and uh, you can find all things about it. When you took out your PPP loan, you certified that you had a dire need for the money. Uh, You know, you you didn't have $5 billion in the bank, and you really needed this money there, and you had to sign. I certify to the state small business administration under penalties of perjury. Uh, uh, and it's a felony if I'm not telling the truth that I really, really need this money, right? Because getting money from the federal government that's potentially forgiveness, uh, forgiven for free. So they wanted that legal certification. So now uh, the, the, a lot of these big companies are looking at it and maybe not so big companies. I shouldn't, it's not really directly related to the size. It's directly related to their, their set of uh, financial resources. People have been saying, well, you know, I signed that thing, but, 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 but maybe, you know, I could have, I could have been okay. I, you know, I had a billion dollars in the bank and, and, uh, I applied for the loan. I took the loan. The lawyers told me it was okay. The bank told me it was okay. The accountant told me it was okay. The SBA approved it. I took the money and I signed the certification, but you know, I probably would have been okay. I'm, I'm, I'm rich. Right. And so there's this big issue in the big public company thing is, did you sign that certification illegally? Because you would have been okay. And if you did, the case can get referred. We love these words because this is things that keep you up late at night. The, the case can get referred to uh, other for administrative action. Well, that, that isn't like you go talk to the bookkeeper. That is, the case goes to the Department of Justice or to the Criminal Investigation Division of the SBA, guys who walk around with badges and guns, right? And uh, and you could get indicted if you lied on that certification. So there's been a lot of hemming and hawing saying, oh, well, you know, I, we, we thought we would need it or maybe we'd need it. And, you know, at the time people were talking about this, this COVID thing was going to be a month. Now it's two months, then it's three months. So it's looking like we'll need it. Well, gee, did I lie on that certification? If I illegally signed that certification, am I going to get in trouble? This was supposed to be a good thing. Now it's becoming a bad thing, right? So the SBA tried to come out with some clarity. And last week it said, okay, okay, okay. Again, we're trying to do a good thing, not make it a bad thing. So if the amount you borrowed is below $2 million, $2 million, we're going to put in a safe harbor rule, which means it's automatic. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to provide any information. You are deemed to have needed the money, even if you didn't even if you didn't. Yeah, so for those who really did lie, never encouraging that, they got to get out of jail card if you're playing Monopoly because 
anything up to up to just below, you know, up to two million is deemed to have been needed, even if it might not have been. Over two million, the uh, Secretary of Treasury says we are going to uh, really scrutinize your application for forgiveness, and you better have really needed it. And now for most people, let me say in my experience, first of all, I don't have any clients borrowing over two million. So, you know, no issue. But if I did, right, uh, most companies are, are really, really in trouble, right? I mean, they didn't go through these PPP loan applications because uh, just to soak up some extra money. Now, there have been some places like Harvard. Why Harvard? Harvard has a $3 tr- billion dollar endowment, some ridiculous amount of money. They said, how could you have possibly signed that certification? Give the money back. Harvard did, right? Some other high-end companies have given the money back on further reflection. In some cases, the Trump administration called them and said, you know, I don't think he signed this right. Did you read it? (laughs) So uh, we're getting some heat politically uh, from the other party, and and you might want to send the money back so we can just put this aside. Okay. So uh, two things. One, if you're below $2 million, boom. You don't have to think about it. You are deemed to have needed the money. Secondly, there's a safe harbor that says if you return the money today, today, May 18th, today. So if this is you, big company, you have a few more hours. Today, May 18th, you will be forgiven. Uh, You won't be referred to the investigatory agencies. If you took out the money, you knew you were lying, you didn't really need it, but you gave it back to them by May 18th, today. Um, you're in a safe harbor. Okay, thanks for playing the game. Um, you shouldn't have done it. Don't do that again. And please, you know, uh, hopefully you'll never have to do it again. So two points, below two million. And if you really have a problem, give the money back to the bank today. Uh, sorry, you know, uh, hopefully nobody out there listening is in that issue of actually having to do something today. But uh, this, this, the, the, the heck of it is that the information came out late last week, right? So um, you had to get together with your lawyer and your accountant. You say, ah, we pushed this too far. All right, let's get the certified check and, or the electronic transfer and get it back to the bank Monday, May 18th, today. Okay, so that's uh, more than enough on, uh, on that. All right, so the other exciting thing that happened before I came in here to give this podcast, oh, my goodness, the, um, the uh, st- uh, um, Small Business Administration, excuse me, Uh, put out on Friday, the application for forgiveness for your PPP loan. All right, so you you went through, and I won't go through the whole thing, but you went through the whole process, maybe applied with multiple banks. You got your loan. You got your secret, super secret special number from the SBA saying it's uh, approved. You did all your DocuSign. Your bank did everything. Boom, the money was in your account. Okay. Uh, you got to spend the money within eight weeks. We've gone through that several times on qualifying expenses, payroll, mortgage interest, um, uh, utilities, uh, rents. You have to spend it on that. The amount of the loan has to be computed based on a certain number of months of payroll, right? So there's a disconnect between the rents expense and the, the fact the loan was only meant to cover payroll. But but that's that's uh, that horse has left the the stable or the barn or whatever, and, and nothing to do about that now. It's now you're on the back end, right? You've spent the money, and um, you want to get this loan off your books. 
right? You have all these documents, signed loan documents, and you want to legally, ethically, righteously, morally uh, have that loan forgiven. So again, I, I repeat some of these concepts because they come up over and over again. What was meant to be a good thing becomes a bad thing. On Friday, the, state, the uh, Small Business uh, Administration put out its 11-page form where you have to apply for the forgiveness, right? So you went through the whole loan application process, and that's not good enough. Now you have to go through, and I'm, I apologize, I'm still just reading this thing. It's so horrible. You have to go through this, loan, this application to have the loan forgiven. Another small audit, right? And you have to tell them everything about, well, you have the loan application. You know everything about me. What do you, why do I have to tell you? have to tell them again. Hey, what's my name? What's my address? What's my ID number? What's my tax ID number? What was my SBA number for the loan? What did I do with the money? What are my paydays, right? And then they get into, okay, cutoff problems. They're called by auditors. Did you pay the payroll by this date? Was it incurred for this period, but you paid it a little after eight weeks, but it was incurred before the eight weeks. Those are all... Uh, again, what we call cutoff issues for for accountants, and uh, this this um, this eleven page application, I must apply for you to forgive me, even though you promised to forgive me when I borrowed the money. And when I apply, anybody knowing working with the SBA or any federal agency, somebody's going to read that thing. And they're going to pull out their 30-page checklist and make sure you did this right and make sure you answered that right and make sure you answered that right. And if the loan was over $2 million, you may literally get a visit from some guy who says, show me your payroll records, show me your check disbursements records, show me the canceled checks and your bank statements so I can be convinced that you followed all the rules to get this loan forgiven so that you could survive, right? So a good thing now, more and more, right, uh, first of all, now, I, I, again, I, I'm rambling, but I want to put in context. People are suffering. There are near 40 million people out of work. Companies are going bankrupt left and right. And some pencil neck auditor is going to come in there and put you through the, the ringer to get the forgiveness that you were completely and wholly entitled to because why not kick them while they're down, Right. That's, that's what's, that's what's going to go on here. Now, now procedurally, what happens a lot with the IRS is there's a lot of written rules and you get together with the audit or whatever. They say, I don't care. I don't care. Yeah, this says I'm supposed to do a lot of things. I get to exercise judgment because every IRS auditor knows, and I'm, I'm looking at my producer here because it is a very important tax rule. Every IRS auditor knows if they followed every single rule in the IRS code, they could never finish a single audit. Would never happen couldn't process a tax turn, couldn't finish an audit. You have to skip things that are immaterial. Otherwise, there's 15 paragraphs on something that's $20 and you can't do it. And so hopefully, uh, procedurally, again, uh, given the, the, the horror of this uh, virus crisis, uh, the Small Business Administration will be granted wide latitude to pick and choose. So what do they do? Like any organ, they triage, right? Oh, there's a really bad one. Let's go out. Let's focus on this one, Joe, because it really looks like Joe took advantage of the system. And let's leave Sam and Frank and Sally, leave them alone. They were just trying to survive. Hopefully that's what we'll see is a bunch of triage 
uh, uh, because <laughs> I'm still reading through this, and this is incredible. It's a it's a super small audit, uh, and and you're already just trying to survive. So I hope uh, in practice versus what they've written. You know, uh, the guys in Washington uh, uh, in these big offices, right? They sit there and say, "Well, here, write the application for the forgiveness." So what are they going to do? They're going to sit there and they're going to write page after page, and they have all. Oh, we were thinking, wouldn't it be cool? And that's the other Ron Cohen phrase. Wouldn't it be cool? If we ask them to triangulate this number with that number to justify this number, right, it's an audit technique, right? We all learned that in honest. No, it wouldn't be cool. We're trying to survive. Why don't you just ask for the absolute bare minimum that the person in good faith took this mon- money, spent it for the right reasons, even if he missed some of them, even if he got some, leave him the heck alone. Just keep them open, right? Keep them open. That was the real intent of the legislation. Not that I'm encouraging anybody to break the law or the government to, to not to do their job, but when you end when you start with an application that's 11 pages, you know where this is going. I'll just leave it at that. Okay, so uh, we talked a little bit about stimulus checks. We talked about the $3 trillion bill, the eight-week problem, the uh, certification problem. Uh, maybe next week I'll get into uh, complications with 1099Bs for stock trading. Always remember, before you use anything you hear, on this podcast or uh, take any planning for uh, tax purposes. Make sure you've gotten qualified, thorough advice based on all the facts before, again, you put any number to do a transaction following that advice or put any number on a tax return and file it because you always got to get an A plus on those tax returns. And I hope you're all surviving as well as possible. I also hope this information is uh, helpful. We will have a lot of show notes below uh, on this podcast. Uh, Don't take it from me. Read it yourself. Lots of good information. And we'll see you next, next week. Thank you very much.